0: So please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. This morning we'll be reading the entirety of Genesis chapter 10 through chapter 11 verse 9. So Genesis chapter 10 through chapter 11 verse 9. Well, please pay careful attention, for this is God's holy and inspired word given to us this morning. Genesis chapter 10 through chapter 11, verse 9. These are the generations of the sons of Noah Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, Togarmah, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabtika. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan, Cush, father Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Resen, between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludin, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtahim, Pathrusim, Kaslahum, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. Canaan fathered Sidan, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Arkites, and the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of uh, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpekshad, Lud, Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash, Arpekshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almodad, Shelef Hazarmaveth, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obol, Abimael, Sheba, Afur, Havilah, and Jobab, all these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the, cl- uh, are the clans of the sons of Noah. According to their genealogies and their nations, And from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they made brick for stone and butamen for mortar. And they said, Come. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, this time of year, no doubt, is filled with many festivities, from good food, cookies, decorations, lights. It's good for us to enjoy the festivities of of Christmas, of Advent. However, it's also important for us to remember that Christmas isn't ultimately about enjoying the festivities. Nor is it about celebrating Jesus in some trite and sentimental manner. Rather, the purpose of Advent and Christmas is to celebrate what Jesus accomplished in his humanity. Jesus came to this earth to reverse the curses, the curses of Genesis 3 and even the curses that we read about here in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. In the famous Christmas carol, Joy to the World, we sing that Jesus came to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Jesus came to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Jesus came to this world in human flesh to reverse the curse. Now here in Genesis 10 and 11, we witness a world marked by sin and God's curse. And therefore, this passage serves as a backdrop to why Jesus came into this world. It serves as the backdrop for Jesus' main mission, namely, to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So this morning, as we reflect upon the purpose of Christmas, the reason for the season here in Genesis 10 and 11, I'd like us to do that in three main ways. First, we'll consider the sin of society or the sin of mankind, as we see it here in Genesis 10 and 11. Second, we'll consider God's curses upon society. And last of all, we'll consider how Jesus reverses the curses of Genesis 11. So the sin of society, God's curse upon society, and then we'll consider how Jesus reverses the curses of Genesis 11. Well, what sin do we see here in Genesis 10 and 11? What what sin or what sins are society committing here in this passage. Well, we witness in chapter 11, verses 3 and 4 that society is intending to build a great city and to build a great tower that reaches to the heavens. In the ancient world, this likely was a ziggurat. A ziggurat was this this building that had a staircase-like structure to it in which the ancients believed was a gateway to the heavens. A gateway to the gods. But moreover, we also see that society is seeking, lusting after a great name. They're desiring status and fame, prestige, and even immortality. And we may wonder, well, why are these things so bad? Why are these things sins? Well, in order to answer these questions, we need to go back to the beginning. The beginning of the book of Genesis. Now, do you recall what God's original goal was for mankind? What was God's original goal for mankind? Well, it was his seventh day Sabbath rest. God made man in his image, in the image of the working and resting God. Therefore, God made man to work for a rest just as God worked six days for his seventh day Sabbath rest. God made man to work for a rest. The original goal for mankind was God's seventh day eternal Sabbath rest. Therefore, man by nature is utopian. Man by nature longs for a greater state of consummation. Man by nature longs for a greater state of affairs than he currently experiences in his natural state. Now, throughout the rest of Scripture, this seventh-day Sabbath rest, this goal of mankind is referred to as being a place that exists at great heights. Sometimes the Bible refers to this place as being in the heavens. Sometimes this place is referred to as existing at the top of high mountains, Mount Sinai or Mount Zion. Again, think of Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? The hill of the Lord is a reference to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Well, how do our first parents respond to this original goal, this promise that God laid before them in the opening chapters of Genesis? Well, our first parents uh, sought this goal. They sought this rest, this glory, but they did this in opposition from God and apart from God. They lent their ear to the devil and believed that that ancient serpent promised them greater rest, greater glory, and greater joy than God did. This is exactly what the devil did to Jesus when he led Jesus out into the wilderness in the opening chapters of the Gospels. Do you remember what what Satan told Jesus? Come, let's go to this cliff. Let's look upon the kingdoms of the world. If you would but bow down to me, they all would be yours. Again, the devil was tempting Jesus with a a greater, higher state of consummation and telling Jesus that he doesn't have to experience this life of suffering. He can have glory now. And that's what the serpent was tempting Adam and Eve with. And our first parents believe that the serpent offered to them a greater rest, a greater glory than God. They lent their ear to the devil and broke their covenant with Yahweh, with their creator. And so we see that after our first parents sin, God says that man has become like us, knowing good and evil. Here God is being sarcastic. He's being ironic. He's saying... Because man thinks that he has arrived, that he is like us, that he is divine and immortal, he must be banished. But before God banishes our first parents from that holy sanctuary, he gives them a promise of grace. A new pathway of ascent through faith in a mediator. Faith in that seed of the woman. And so after the fall, the goal of mankind remains the same. God's seventh day Sabbath rest glory. However, now there are two pathways of ascent. One can seek to ascend through one's own efforts and works, which is only hypothetical after the fall, or one can seek to ascend through faith in a mediator, through faith in the seed of the woman, which is Christ. And so let's come back to Genesis 11. What is going on in Genesis 11? Well, society is seeking to build this great tower, this ziggurat to the heavens, which is a gateway to the gods. They are lusting after a great name, immortality, status, and fame. They are seeking a greater state of consummation apart from God and in opposition to God. That is what makes this such a great sin. They're imitating their forefather, Adam. They're seeking rest. They're seeking to ascend God's holy hill apart from him and in opposition to him. In fact, later on in scripture, we learn that the king of Babylon, the king of Babylon seeks to do the very same thing. So listen to what we read in Isaiah 14. The king of Babylon says in his heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is then God's response. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. The king of Babylon is doing exactly what Adam and Eve did and what the people of Babel are doing here in Genesis 11. He is seeking this greater state of consummation. He's seeking to ascend to the heavens apart from God and in opposition to God. Therefore, whether it be Adam and Eve, whether it be the people of Babel or the king of Babylon, man seeks to transcend the fallenness of this creation, the limits of nature through his own efforts, apart from God, in opposition to God, in order to bring in this great utopia. That's what we see Adam and Eve doing. That's what we see the people of Babel doing. That's what we see the king of Babylon doing. In fact, this is written into the very DNA of the fallen human heart. We seek... To transcend the fallenness of this creation. The limits of nature through our own efforts in opposition to God in order to bring in this great utopia. This greater state of affairs. We see this in our own culture today. Again, this is written into the very DNA of the fallen human heart. We long to ascend to God's throne room by our own efforts. Well, what is God's response to this? What is God's response to the people of Babel? Well, we see his response beginning in verse 5. And in verses 5 through 9, we see God uh, cursing the people. We see the curses of Babel. And so in verses 5 through 9, we see that God thwarts man's attempt to transcend the fallenness of this creation. The limits of nature By confusing their language. Instead of giving them a great name. God gives them a name of shame. According to one commentator. Babel is merely a pun on the word confused or confusion. This is not a great name. This is not a name that you would take pride in. It's a name of shame. Their plans have been thwarted. Now Genesis 10 is sometimes referred to as the table of nations. We see the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons. Now, Genesis 10 and Genesis 11 are not in chronological order because we see that the confusion of languages and the dispersion of the peoples have already taken place in Genesis chapter 10. However, this dispersion of of peoples is, is, is also a part of God's curse. Remember what God told Cain after he killed Abel. He says that you, Cain, will forever be a fugitive and a wanderer upon the earth. So this dispersion is part of God's curse. It's a result of the confusion of languages. Now, notice God's restraint in these curses that we witness in Genesis 11. What happened the last time society, according to the book of Genesis, what happened the last time society gravely sinned against God? What did God do? Well, he sent this worldwide judgment. He sent the waters of the flood in order to destroy all flesh. God doesn't do that here. God exercises restraint. He curses mankind and society only enough to keep their sin at bay and in check. Why? Why, do, why is God exercising restraint here? Well, because of that covenant that he made with Noah and by extension with all of creation. Because God has placed his bow in the sky, which is his promise that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, fall and winter, spring and summer will remain. He will preserve this fallen creation. Well, in this passage, we witness a world marked by sin. We witness a world marked by God's curses. And therefore, this passage is really the perfect backdrop for the, the most important promise in Genesis. Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpents. Or to put it another way, that the seed of the woman, again, the son of Seth, the son of Noah, the son of Shem, will reverse the curses, the curses of Genesis 11. Jesus will make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And so let us turn our attention now to consider how Jesus, the seed of the woman, the son of Noah, the son of Shem, will reverse or does reverse the curses here of Genesis 11. So remember, remember the curses here of Genesis 11. God thwarts the plans of mankind to ascend to the heights of heaven. So that's the first curse. The second curse is the confusion of languages. And then last of all, we see that God curses mankind by giving them a name of shame. Jesus reverses these curses of Genesis 11 when he comes to this earth. So first, let's let's turn our attention to This this curse of God thwarting their attempts to ascend. Now there are essentially two requirements to ascend God's holy hill, to reach the the original goal for mankind, to reach God's Sabbath rest. In Genesis 3, what does God place in, in order to place in the garden in order to guard the tree of life? Do you remember? A judgment sword. A flaming judgment sword. This teaches us that in order to ascend God's holy hill, we will need to go through God's judgment sword. This is what Jesus does for us in his flesh. He dies our death. He takes the decisive blow from God's judgment sword in our place so that by his wounds we are healed. Well, the second requirement is what we hear about in Psalm 24. Uh, We learn in Psalm 24 that in order to ascend God's holy hill, we need to have clean hands and a pure heart. Again, Jesus was the only person, the only human being, who perfectly had clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus was the only person who was completely untainted, both from original and actual sin. And therefore, Jesus was the only person who was able to ascend God's holy hill through his own merits and efforts. Now, Jesus ascended God's holy hill not in opposition to God, but according to God's perfect design. In Genesis 11, the, the construction of this tower is really a picture of man's attempt to ascend God's holy hill in opposition to God. Jesus didn't seek to ascend God's holy hill in opposition to God, but according to God's perfect design. The metaphorical tower that Jesus built was made out of bricks of perfect obedience, heart, soul, mind, and strength to his Father in heaven. This is why Jesus can tell us in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary Weary from striving. Weary from seeking to ascend through your own strength. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus has the authority to extend rest to you this morning because he has earned that rest. Because he has ascended God's holy hill. And therefore this morning Jesus desires... He desires to grant you rest. Are you weary this morning? Do you desire a greater sense of joy and and peace? Are you longing for hope in the midst of the, the misery, the heartache, and the loneliness of this world? And let's be honest, beyond the outward veneer of comfort and luxury of the Western world, there's a lot of loneliness. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of misery. Does this describe you this morning? Well, if it does, Jesus desires to extend you rest. Not just those people out there, but you personally. He desires to give you a rest that includes, includes consummated joy and peace. A rest that we partake of in part in this life, but fully in the life to come. A rest that is not earned or maintained through your efforts, experiences, striving, or religiosity. Do you know this rest? Are you living in this rest? Jesus has reversed the curse. Jesus has descended that you might ascend. Well, let's fast forward a bit in Jesus' life. Let's fast forward to Pentecost. Pentecost is that moment in redemptive history where Jesus pours out his spirit upon the church. We should think of Pentecost as being one of the last stages of Jesus' earthly ministry. And at Pentecost, we see that Galileans, people who ordinarily only spoke Hebrew, now had the ability to speak in other known languages. Languages of other peoples, nation groups, and nations so that the gospel could go forth. This, the speaking of tongues that we learn about in Acts chapter 2, is Jesus reversing the curse of Babel. This is a sign of the universality of the new covenant. A sign of the consummation of the new creation when we all will be of one tongue, fully unified as the people of God. Now of course signs, generally speaking, are not permanent practices. And so the speaking of tongues was a practice reserved for the first century. But nevertheless, it's Jesus through his spirit reversing the curse of Genesis 11, of the tower of Babel. This assures us that no matter what era of the church we're in, Jesus through his spirit has the authority and the ability to cause the gospel to go forth despite despite the confusion of languages. This is why the heart of the Reformation, or at the heart of the Reformation, was the translation of the Bible into the vernacular tongue of the people. Jesus has reversed the curse. Furthermore, Jesus, at Pentecost, Jesus, through his spirit, also gives us a new name. Recall our declaration of pardon earlier this morning. In The fullness of time, God has sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem us under the law, that we might receive the blessing of adoption. Adoption as sons. And because we're sons, we also have been given the spirit of the Son, causing us to cry out, Abba, Father. Paul says very much the same thing in Romans chapter 8. He says that we have not received the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption, which again causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit then takes this great blessing of adoption of sons and delivers us, delivers it to our front doorstep, as it were. The Spirit takes this great blessing that Jesus has won for us through his life, death, and resurrection and delivers it to us, makes it a part of our life and our identity and causes us to be able to live in accordance to that identity and call out Abba, Father. Jesus, through his spirit, changes our name of shame to beloved son of God. Jesus reverses the curse of Babel. And so this Christmas season, we're not called ultimately to just enjoy the festivities of of the season. We're also not called to celebrate Jesus in some trite or sentimental manner. We are to celebrate what Jesus accomplished in his humanity. Jesus came to this earth. He was born of a woman, found in a manger, manger, in order to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. In a few moments, we will have the privilege of coming to the Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ascend. We ascend to the heights of heaven, to the very throne room of God, and through ordinary bread and wine, we have the privilege of experiencing real communion with the humanity of Christ, the very humanity that was born 2,000 years ago in a manger. Let's pray.